I know I say it often, and I say it often because it's true. Your very presence makes a difference in my heart, my life, and others in the room. Because of who you are, a created loved one of Jesus Christ. And what you carry, you carry his grace. You, you carry his likeness. And so that just spills out on everyone else in the room and wherever you go. So thanks for being you. And thanks, sir, for making uh, this time today a, a priority in your busy schedules, particularly in the holiday season. Well, hope is our um, theme for today. And... Um, so I want to speak a bit about anticipating hope. Now, we're going to come from the standpoint of hundreds of years before Christ. Well, it takes us to Isaiah the prophet, who in chapter 9 said, The people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. I really love his prophetic perspective because he didn't just prophesy darkness, which was already a reality, but he prophesied that in the darkness there are people who will see a great light. Dwellers in a land of death's shade, light has shone upon them. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast made great its joy. They have joyed before thee as the joy in harvest. So here's Isaiah the prophet, and he has both natural eyes to see the condition of his world in so much as he um, had awareness of it in that time, but he also had spiritual insight. And this is what God releases within a prophet for example, is to be able to see beyond the natural eye and to be able to discern and hear the voice of the Lord and that which is to come. So I'm so grateful um, for those who, who walk in the office of a prophet and, uh, and because they, they have a, a bigger picture in that. But, but the reality is, is that God grants that insight to each and every person. Just that prophets seem to have more of an acute awareness of. And sometimes they just go a little deeper or a little farther into the future. But <clears throat> we're privileged to be able to have hope. And that's something that's infused into us by the Lord himself, by his spirit. I want to talk about, there's three basic thoughts that I want to just uh, uh, share a bit about. The first is darkness. Now, this is not going to be a gloomy message by any means, but we have numerous passages in Scripture about darkness in the world. I want to look at some of the symbolic uses in Scripture. Light is a symbol of God's purity, His wisdom and glory, while darkness is a symbol of oppression. The symbol of unbelief, of waywardness, and sometimes just outright rebellion against God. In a moment, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 82. This actually was a song written by Asaph. And Asaph was a prominent Levi singer and a seer in David's court and was the son of, of the, in, in the, within the tribe of Levi. 
And you can read about him in 1 Chronicles 16 and 1 Chronicles 29, I believe it is. Also in chapter 16, 15, 16, and in chapter 29. But he wrote this song from a perspective that he had concerning the injustices on the earth. And Asaph was troubled within his spirit. He was deeply concerned about what he was seeing. And I think it was more than what he was just seeing with the natural eye. It was also what he was discerning in the depths of his soul as God would, would working with him. And he was disturbed about the fact that it seemed as if though God was permitting or allowing earthly judges to be irresponsible and not to deal appropriately with uh, wickedness on the earth that came in the form of oppression of the peoples. So let's look at Psalms chapter 82. God takes his position in his assembly. He judges in the midst of the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Now this is Asaph, and he's making this appeal be to God. And then, he, and then he shares his heart's perspective because I somehow believe that Asaph had a sense of knowing what was really in the depth of his father's heart. He said, vindicate the weakness and the fatherlessness. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Save them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand they walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, God, judge the earth, for you possess all the nations. Asaph is expressing his deepest feelings feelings and what he felt about the injustices upon the earth. People in darkness, people living under oppression. And he's making an appeal for social justice, that would be from heaven's perspective, to deal with earthly judges uh, who would show mercy and deliverance to the oppressed. I think Asaph, he is, actually has a perspective through the lens of the heart of Father God, who loves and cares for his kids and rescues his children who are victims of it. It's interesting, and we won't turn to the Gospels today, but when we read the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we see is Jesus very concerned about the injustices of the world. He was so deeply troubled by segregation and oppression of women. And he blew away the minds of the religious community of his day in the way that he showed honor to the ladies of the hour. And he was troubled by the socioeconomic injustice, the racial prejudices, political oppression, religious judgments that would come from those who even knew the scriptures the most. And and, and, and they, they, they brought about oppression, even with their good intentions of wanting everybody to be holy before the Lord. There was this weighty heaviness upon the people of Christ's day. 
Luke chapter 4, Jesus makes this annunciation, and he reaches back again to Isaiah the prophet, but he's personalizing the prophet's scripture. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ understood that his primary mission was to come and to reveal the heart of the heavenly father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were united together and there was this seamless flow of life throughout the varied expressions of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, until we learn better how to understand Scripture, there can appear to be a contradiction when you look at different passages of Scripture in the Bible. On one hand, you've got God saying, I want you to go kill all the men, women, and babies of the city. And like, what? What's, what's with that? Because it is an absolute contrast and in sharp contradiction to what Jesus said and what Jesus spoke and what he modeled, okay? But we learn to, as we grow, we learn to kind of harmonize those difficult passages with the reality of who Christ was because we do know this, that Christ was the exact representation of our Heavenly Father. So when Jesus speaks and points out the oppression and he says, this is my mission to seek and save the lost. My mission is to do what? To liberate the prisoners and the captives, those whose hearts had been captivated by religious, um, just religious, what should I say, strongholds. And so Jesus was saying, I'm here to do the work of the Father and to bring freedom. Now, if we could, I want to reach back again into the Old Testament. So when we do that, we're not going backwards. What we're doing is looking at what was prophetically foretold in the Old Testament scriptures and, and then which that was revealed and made manifest in the New Testament scriptures. Let's reach back again to a psalm. This time is Psalm 107. Psalm 107, we have, once again, this psalm reflects the heart of our Father. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. The redeemed of the Lord shall say so. Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region, and they did not find a way to an inhabited city. Now, he's speaking of Israel here who had been held captive in Egypt, and God in his wonderful grace and deliverance had released them from the hand of the Egyptians to go to the desert to worship, but to continue on and possess their land of promise as was given to them. In verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their souls felt weak within them. You sense the compassion here coming through the psalmist? And he says, 
they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He also had them walk on a straight way to go to an inhabited city. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders to the Son of Mankind. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul. He has filled the hungry soul with what is good. Verse 10. There were those who lived in darkness. Here we have this term used again. And it's actually used multiple times throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testaments. And the psalmist said, there were those who lived in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Because they had rebelled against the words of God, they rejected the plan of the Most High. Now, well, let's go on. Let's go on. Uh, verse 12, therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled. There was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands, and they shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for the wonders to the sons of mankind. Israel suffered in darkness for 40 years. They allowed doubt and they allowed unbelief to consume their thinking. They were overwhelmed with what they saw and perceived as giants in the land that God had promised them. And they reasoned in their minds why it wouldn't work and how that they would literally uh, be eliminated if they took those steps, even though God had promised them. And so we have numerous references where the term darkness is used, but here's what I love in verse 13. We just read it. But our loving, merciful Father, he came to them... <clears throat> in their darkness, and he came with love, and he came with a heart to restore them to a place of faith and trust. This seems to be true of the nature of our God again and again. We see it throughout the different texts within the Bible, where humanity is snared in darkness. You have the loving mercy of God that comes to reveal himself to us in our darkness. He doesn't somehow look at humanity in darkness and just throw a long rope or chain into the midst and snag a few and pull you out of darkness, but rather he enters our darkness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not afraid of the darkness of our own hearts or the darkness within our world. They do not fear darkness. You remember Jesus conquered death, right? He conquered death at the cross. And we see in the Old Testament, knowing prophetically the Christ who would conquer death and sin, there was no fear then. Because wherever there is perfected and absolute love, there is no fear. So, so Father wasn't um, concerned about the darkness. Now, I want to slip into the New Testament now to further... Uh, further illustrate this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. This is Paul the Apostle writing this letter to the Corinthians. And he said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And then he gives us the reason why it is veiled. Why is it that some, and you understand in Paul's day, 
It was about 98, 99% of the people wherever he went did not take hold, could not see the truth within that which Paul was saying. So he says, why are they veiled? Why, why is the gospel veiled? Why is it they can't see it, can't understand it? Because he says, the God of this world hath blinded the eyes or blinded the minds a couple versions read, of the unbelieving, so that they will not see the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of Christ. If we want to know what God is like, we look at the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul makes very clear here that, and he's really showing some compassion and he's showing some mercy because he recognizes that there are multitudes in his day. There's only a, a very, very, very small, small percentage of people who had even heard of the gospel. And most who had heard the gospel were rejecting the gospel. Why? Because they were blinded. Their minds were filled with unbelief. They, they, they weren't able to see it. And Paul could share it so clearly and they'd go, what are you talking about? This makes no sense at all. Well, it's interesting is that Paul goes on to say in verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God said, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. You notice that 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 Paul here is reaching back into prophetic statement. And he didn't say that light will shine into darkness. I want you to get that. Light will shine out of darkness. This was Paul's experience in his own personal salvation. And it's a truth that once again highlights this point that God is with all people even in their darkness. Sometimes when we think about sin and we think about unbelief and rebellion, that somehow God just says, oh, I can't handle that one. They're on their own. They got hell to pay. No, not exactly how God sees it. He comes to people into the darkest places of their heart and to the darkest places of society and he works within the hearts of people by his spirit. And eventually, the light comes on. And now you have light shining where? Out of or in the midst of darkness. Did you know that the word mercy is used about 300 times in the Old Testament, depending which, which translation you use, and right at 40 times in the New Testament? And there are multiple, multiple references about humanity being prisoners of oppression. You know, lost sheep going their own way. But, but across the board, we see the heart of our Heavenly Father looking at humanity as lost sheep. They are sheep who belong to Him. Or you can't have a lost sheep if you don't have someone who's already a sheep, right? So they're lost sheep. They're out wandering around. They're not in the fold. They're not in the safety of, of, of Christ. And, uh, but they are, in many ways, respects, victims of sin and evil. So Paul is writing this out of his own experience. In Paul's day, there was no one um, 
or few people who knew the scriptures better than him, right? He could quote the scriptures, all of the Old Testament scriptures that he had access to, he had studied and studied. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was the, the, at the top of his class and his rank as, as, as a uh, one who understood God and understood the scriptures. And yet he was blind to the reality of truth and who Christ was. Then Paul gives us some insight as to what happened. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 9. Paul now is writing out of his own experience and what he has witnessed in the hearts and lives of many people now that he had been ministering to, uh, mostly of the Gentiles. Paul also, because in some of the places he would went, you would always have a mixture of Jew and Gentile in the cities. For example, in Ephesus, you had that. So Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's putting into context this glorious salvation and liberation that he experienced. He said, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Paul knew that very well. Paul understood that the only reason that on the road to Damascus that in one moment he was an unbeliever in Christ and within seconds... He now believes. His spiritual eyes were open while his natural eyes were in darkness for three days. He was blinded. It's a perfect example how that God comes. He's on the road going to persecute more Christians. And it's there that the grace of God broke through into Paul. And he's now in a place of spiritual darkness and in a moment, he's in a place of physical darkness. And it was there that Jesus Christ revealed himself. Why? Because Paul kept mustering up his faith and a little more, a little more, a little more. And one day now, okay, I think I believe. Now, it is true that God works in people's hearts in different ways. Not everyone has dramatic encounters with God like Paul does, although I've met numerous people that have had very similar accounts. It wasn't my experience. Mine was, I, I was raised up in a Christian setting, so for me it was just little by little by little. It was like, yes, of course, Jesus is truth. Jesus is the one who is my deliverer and my salvation. So <clears throat> Paul is writing to him here, and he says, it's the grace of God that raises us up. What's so interesting is, is that when we see someone like a Paul, um, and maybe some of you, uh, this was a part of your experience and your story, I don't know, but when we see someone who is not, has not yet embraced Christ as Lord, um, what, if, what if we... Um, started thinking, if it, it is not if they will, but it's when they will. 
What if we were just to tweak our perspective? Get into a place of confidence in God that knowing how God works, that we're going to say, well, yeah, I hope he does. Not the kind of hope we've been singing about and, and talking about this morning. It's kind of like, well, maybe. I wonder if God might just want to instill within us such a sense of confidence that God will. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what the encounter, don't know what the experience is going to be. But I'm going to pray for that individual soul. I'm going to declare salvation over his life in Jesus' name. Going to declare the goodness of God and the revealed Christ in the hearts of my kids, my grandkids, my neighbors, because I've got confidence in the grace of God. Surprising hope. And we all love and rejoice at those surprises along the journey, don't we? When you see that someone says, hey, I've given my life to Christ Jesus, you go, wow. And sometimes you're secretly thinking, he's the last one I thought would take uh, and, and take hold of the invitation of the Lord. You see, let's embrace Jesus Christ as an inclusionary Savior and corrective judge instead of an exclusionary Savior and a punitive judge. Now, I know we all actually believe that, but sometimes I think that we can lapse into perspectives of, of, of hopelessness because we become frustrated with a spouse who is not believing with a child or grandchild who may be faltering in, in their walk with Jesus and, and a neighbor or friend. And, and we can become frustrated and, and, and uh, sometimes perhaps have hopelessness creep in. But let's have more confidence in the grace of God, the powering, powerful love of God to persuade, to change the mind of a person than we have in the power of broken, deceived humans to resist God. Broken humans and who are deceived in their darkness are not on equal plane with the powerful grace of the Lord. No, are you kidding? The deceived... And when we're, any one of us are in a place of deception and we're blinded and, and, and even somebody has shared with us again and again, but we're blinded, we're here wandering around, then you have the omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe who has created all things through Christ and he is present by his spirit. Who do you suppose? Let's have confidence that the greater one will reveal himself. Let's go into the Christmas season with surprising hope and great confidence in the Lord. Well, our theme today is anticipating hope. We've talked a bit about the darkness of the world. I want to go to a second thought here for a few moments. The promise of the coming light. Um, Colossians 1, speaking of Jesus now. This is Paul once again writing to the church at Colossae, and he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, Christ, all things are created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, we have what we commonly speak of. Theologians speak of this, and, and most of us have been around in the faith and walking within the uh, life flow of Christianity. We understand that, that, that we refer to the coming of Christ as a baby in the manger and growing up and spending his 33 years and going to the cross. We, we, we refer to that as the incarnation appropriately so. But, but when we look at a passage like this, he, God showed up through Christ's creation long before Christ actually came to earth in the form of a human. Because it was through him that all things were made and created. And so all that is visible are signs that are, are, are bits of the essence of who God is. That's why we get so excited in creation. I mean, a couple of weeks ago when the leaves were just so brilliant around here. Again, you know, Danette and I, every time we, we went somewhere, we would just find ourselves exclaiming over and over. Wow, look at those trees. Isn't that amazing color? Five minutes later, wow, look at those. Those are amazing, aren't they, Danette? A minute later, Kaylin, look over there. Those are just amazing. The colors are so brilliant. And you just like in awe, in awe, and repeatedly you may give exclamation. And we do that when we go on hikes together, whether it's a mountain hike or at the beach and such. That's because it is uh, really a part of the manifestation uh, and the essence of God himself through Christ as the creator of the universe. That's why the scriptures talk about rivers clapping their hands, mountains singing for joy. I remember a kid, when I would read those passages, I thought, that's kind of weird. Rivers clapping their hands. And what the psalmist caught long ago that sometimes we don't even catch, having all of the rest of the scriptures before us and such, we go, yeah, yeah, that's really pretty out there. No, they are expressions. They are visible manifestations of the heart of God. Beauty is at the very heart and the essence of who God is. And he wires us with a sense of knowing that which is beautiful and of giving praise where we see beauty. And appropriately, of course, to God. Now, he speaks of the promise of the coming light. So we have him coming in creation in one sense. And then Isaiah again, back 700 years, we're going to reach back again. Where Isaiah 1 through 3 is pretty familiar to, to many believers. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. You see this, he's speaking in future tense, because this was 700 years plus before Christ. And so he's seeing what will come into reality. The Lord will rise, his glory will appear upon you, nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a promise to the world, to all peoples in darkness. This promise wasn't just given prophetically to Israel, it is given to all people, including spiritual Israel, as Paul talks about, is given to all peoples, both Jew and Gentile, 
that there is a glorious light that is coming. And of course, we know that God so loved the world that Christ entered the world of darkness and took on human flesh. He took on that which he loved most. He became that which he loved most. He entered into our world in the midst of darkness. How many of you know that Jesus didn't wake up every day stressed out at the darkness around him and the darkness in other people? In him was light and life. He was without sin, right? He wasn't stressed out about it because there is this perfect love within the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they don't get stressed out. How about you and me? You just watch evening news and the old stress level just starts rising at the craziness and the darkness of humanity. And, and sometimes you just scratch your head. I can't believe what I just heard. How could any human, and it just it boggles the mind. And some of you guys here are involved in law enforcement and corrections and such, and so you see things up close and personal that the rest of us don't even see. And it must be mind-boggling. And actually, I assume, can be stressful. But our Lord was never stressed out about it. He always lived with surprising hope. He knew that he was one who was manifesting the heart of the Father to humanity. So we have the darkness of the world. We have the promise of the coming light. And the last thought I'll share in our just last few minutes. The light is Christ Jesus, the hope of the world. John 1. I'm going to read this one from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. In the beginning of was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Logos. He's speaking of Christ. Okay, he's not speaking of a Bible. Although that was in the heart of God to reveal himself through the scriptures that he would give people. And of course, John is writing from the perspective, having already been privileged to be able to read the Old Testament scriptures. John is speaking by revelation of who Christ was, the Alpha and Omega, the one who always was. And he said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, but notice, the Word was God. So you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're co-equals together. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. That's what I get excited about when I read this passage. I read this passage multiple times every month this whole chapter one of John. And I just marvel, and it's like every time I read it, it's like I feel like the Spirit is just like making it more real to me and opening up to the reality of this, how Jesus, living within the perfect love of the Father in the Spirit, he comes into the darkness of our world. He came into the darkness of my life, into the darkness of your life, and he's with us today because there are degrees 
of darkness within most of us. Otherwise, you would be perfect and never ever sin or never ever have a wrong thought yet. We're a beautiful work in process being conformed in shape to the likeness of Christ, right? So <clears throat> when we see spiritual darkness in a person, in a community, and in a region, it's not our place to curse the darkness, but it's our place and our privilege to be able to, through the lens, the spiritual lens of faith and confidence in Christ, is to look for evidence of light and the life that is there at work. We can rejoice when we see darkness. Yes, on one hand, and from the natural perspective, our hearts ache. We get literally sickened sometimes when we see darkness or have experienced darkness in some really ugly, hurtful, painful ways. But we can rejoice, though, because it is into the darkness that Christ has come. It's in the darkness of the human soul and of the world where he reveals himself. I'm going to drop just another little interesting thought in the middle of this here. Shared something about this some months ago. I don't remember how long ago or the context, to be honest. I'd have to look it up. Do you remember what happened after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of Christ? After the crucifixion, after the resurrection of Christ, while it was still dark, it was in the darkness of the resurrection morning, Jesus went into the darkness of hell or appropriately called Hades, the place of the dead, and he preached the good news to all who were disobedient and destroyed in the days of Noah. Isn't that amazing? Right there in Scripture. I mean, I, I just love Scripture. And what do you suppose he preached? Preached hope. Good news. I've liberated the whole world. In your foolishness, you've rebelled against God. But I want you to know that the Father has sent me. The mission is being completed. And he preached the good news to them. The news of God's saving grace. Our Savior Jesus is not afraid of the darkness. It's where light brings the revelation of Christ and liberates captives. You see, we not only see the light, but it's by the light of Christ that we see heavenly realities of what God is doing. If you look solely at the darkness, now I've done this before way too many times. If I can see the darkness of someone's life, and sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes disgusting, it can almost make you angry at the darkness and the atrocities that have been committed. And you can look at the darkness, and then you just start talking about the darkness. How many of you know that's not going to go anywhere good? Right? Have any of you ever been snared with that for at least one minute? Yeah? Let me see that hand. Two minutes? <laughs> I can tell you this. So sometimes as a follower of Christ, we can become snared there for minutes, hours, and days. And our perspective gets skewed. 
we get more focused upon the darkness, the hurt, the pain, particularly when darkness has affected you or your loved one in a painful way, a traumatic way. And you see someone who's snared with an addiction. They can't break free of it. It's just, it, 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 and, and or somebody has committed some kind of a, a crime. And it is so upsetting. But what I'm saying is, by the grace of God, we must not allow ourselves to get into that dark vein of thought and get consumed by it. Because fear will grab a hold of our hearts. And I have seen people go down, 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 and even lose a place of confidence in God simply because they become so focused upon the darkness, upset and angry and hurt at darkness. By the grace of God, here's what we can do. Let's look for and give thanks for the glorious light and life that Jesus is bringing to the world. And that by faith, we're going to dare to believe will bring to another person a loved one who is in darkness. And they don't seem to see. They don't seem to respond. A co-worker or another person. And it can be frustrating sometimes. I'm, I can't resist. i got to throw this one in for free. Um, this is not real common, but I bumped into it where sometimes a wonderful Christian person can really be feeling quite smug and maybe a bit lofty, that they have a gift of discernment because they can sense and feel when there's darkness in the heart of another person or a people or a city, and maybe all of the above is under the influence of a demon. Do I believe Christians can sense that? Yes. Is that something to be proud of? No. Because of Christ within, the Spirit of God working within us, we're going to pick up that stuff. Ah. But here's what I've learned over the years. That a follower of Christ who is maturing in the relationship with Jesus Christ does not focus upon the darkness or the negative stuff in somebody's life but the sign of a maturing Christian is one who sees Christ at work in that person, and they see glimmers of hope. They see beyond the natural eye, the rebellion, and by the Spirit, they see Christ at work. Because trust me, he is at work. Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, does not run away from darkness he is with humanity in the darkness, even while there is blindness, even while there's a whole lot of ugly happening. He is at work. And let's have confidence. And so developing a gift of discernment, of course, you will pick up on the dark stuff. But let me say, a maturing gift of discernment discerns the spirit of Christ at work and sees rays of hope and begins to make declaration of them. And what you declare will have a great 
influence on what will come to pass. Not because of you, it's because you're agreeing with the heart of the Lord. It's not because of what comes out of your mouth per se, but when our hearts are aligned with the Lord and your heart is troubled about something, have confidence in the spirit of the living Christ that he is at work and he is doing a good thing and he will cause the individual both to desire and to will and make a decision for the glory of God. It's God who gives every person the desire and that's where our privilege of prayer comes in. We gotta wrap it up right here. The light is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I ask you, when did Jesus Christ rescue the human race from the domain and power of darkness? Help me out. When did that happen? The cross and the resurrection, right? It didn't happen when I prayed to receive Christ as the Lord of my life. That's not when it happened. That was when I experienced what already had happened 2,000 years ago. So in my experience on the timeline of life, yes, that's when I encountered Christ and I felt and I experienced that deliverance. But Jesus Christ has already done this work for all of humanity 2,000 years ago. So we don't have to pray for Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, please go and do something. But we can say, Lord, I thank you that you have delivered all of humanity. It's just that many are. Paul got it right. Now go figure. <laughs> Most of humanity is still blind to it. So my prayer and confession is along this line. Thank you for what you've done for all of humanity, Lord. You broke the curse of death and sin, and you transferred the human race into the kingdom of your beloved son. But there's such blindness. Open the eyes. Oh, God, by your spirit, we agree with your heart that it's your will that Johnny and Billy be saved and experience Christ Jesus. We want them to experience the glory of the Lord. Well, as I conclude this message in this season, Christmas season of 2023, let's anticipate hope in our world. And would you read with me these last two little things that I wrote out? Jesus, go ahead with me. Jesus came and entered into the darkness of humanity. He is not repulsed, but drawn to all who have any measure of darkness in them. Yes, including you and me. Next, Jesus is the light promise to all of humanity. Let's ask the Lord to open our spiritual eyes and see rays of light in fellow humans around us and give praise to God for what he is doing. He is the Savior of all. And our prayer is, is that there's something else on there? I like that line. Did you guys put that on there? I think that was the first version that I had sent to them, and I changed some things this morning, and I guess that got deleted. Well, that's a good one. I want to invite you to stand up.
And my heart's desire is today that my heart, your heart, our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ, let us have confidence and anticipate that many souls will experience the hope in Jesus Christ. His mission, his work is finished. Oh, he's still working by his spirit, but he already broke the curse of sin and death. He's already delivered humanity out of it, but there's blindness. So right now, God, let's extend our hands. We ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Any measure of darkness within any one of us, in my heart, God, set me free from any degree of darkness. May I experience the fullness of the light and life of Jesus Christ. We have confidence that you will do this within our children. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, minister to our sons and daughters. Bring every son and daughter to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the life of Christ. May it be their experience. Yes, today, this season. To our grandchildren, in Jesus' name, we pray the same. For parents and brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and other family members. May the glorious life and light of Jesus Christ be revealed and bring liberty and freedom of your salvation that you've provided. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said amen. Thank you so much today for your participation in every regard. And I pray that you have a really last week as you go about your responsibilities and go in the grace of God I pray excuse me God bless God have a drink Ah.